If you're at all interested in writing for NIH grants or kind of those large federal federal grants, you need a PhD for that. So I try to talk to, you know, people who may think they want a DNP, but they want to eventually teach or do research and try to guide them more to that other side. It's a it's a quite an experience, but I think, you know, it's you come out of the other side stronger, I hope. What does a nurse scientist do on a day-to-day basis? And how does one embark on this non-traditional nursing career path? Let's talk all about it with nurse scientist, researcher, pediatric nurse practitioner, and educator, Danielle Sarek, right here in episode 428 of the Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello there. This is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you and your personal and professional development, your career, and the healthcare system writ large. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews, just like today's, with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, research, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's part for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And if you want to earn CEUs from listening to podcasts, you can earn them at rnegade.pro, rnegade.pro. Just head over, log into the portal, select me or any other content creator and get CEs in exchange for listening because you're listening anyway. So you might as well get some continuing ed while you're doing it. And if you want to help people find the show, leave a rating and review on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify, or become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith. That's P-A-T. R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. I appreciate y'all so much. And as I said, we're here with nurse researcher and scientist, Danielle Sarek. And Danielle, I'm so happy to have you here. And we have a lot to talk about. And the first thing I want to ask is, what is a nurse scientist? And what does a nurse scientist do, especially in the clinical setting? So that is a great question. And I think it's um, a question that there is still a little bit of flexibility and ambiguity around. So the term scientist really can refer to anyone who is engaging in um, systematic and thorough investigations. So when you couple that with the nurse title, essentially what it means is um, someone who is prepared as a nurse who's engaging in scientific systematic investigation. So Hmm. for a clinical nurse scientist, which is what my role is, um, I sit in a clinical setting, a standalone acute care hospital, pediatric acute care hospital, and I help to support nurses um, to pursue scholarship. And I also help to look at the clinical setting, the things that we're doing, and our systems and think about how we can improve those things. So a lot of it is about process improvement and you're a pediatric nurse practitioner. So you're coming from the perspective of someone who's worked as clinician for some time. And, you know, like looking at your CV, it is absolutely like amazing it's an incredible CV. And um, I'm just wondering, 
did you make a slow transition from clinical practice into research and academia or did you do them both at the same time for a while like how did how did that all come about and how did you make the decision to do that so um first i'll just answer the question about you know the the work that the nurse scientist engages in most of the time when people use the term nurse scientist they are referring to someone with either a, a phd or a dnp um, and usually it's someone who's doing systematic research work. But there is some, like I said, some ambiguity there. So my career path was definitely a a winding one. My first career was actually in global health. And I worked as a policy and advocacy associate. So doing more of that um, policy focused type of work. Um, But in that role, I got the opportunity to um, collaborate with a PhD prepared nurse midwife. And that was the first time I kind of saw that clinical role coupled with a research training background. So through that, I kind of, you know, learned that nurses can do a lot. Nurses aren't just always clinical or at the bedside. And so I decided to go back to nursing school. I went and did a second degree program at Penn. I got my BSN. I stayed on for my master's and became a pediatric nurse practitioner. And um, while I was in that training, I was working um, part-time in the Center for Health Outcomes and Policy Research. And I was doing research support work for some of the faculty. And that was kind of when I really started thinking, you know what, I think I would like to do this whole research thing. And I'd like to, you know, pursue it from that, that perspective. And so after I finished my degree as a pediatric nurse practitioner, I went back to school again, got my PhD. Um, And then when I graduated with the PhD, that's when I transitioned into a clinical setting in the nurse scientist role. So it was definitely not a fully thought out plan from the beginning, but kind of at each step of the the way, I, I found things that I liked and I kind of saw new pathways to take my nursing career and luckily had good mentors who helped me to find those stepping stones. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, not all of us travel a straight and narrow path. I mean, mine has been kind of unusual too. And if you're open to serendipity and you're open to like, you met this PhD prepared nurse, uh, nurse midwife, and you're like, oh, wow. And that kind of opened your eyes to possibilities. So I just feel like when you're open, all sorts of things can happen, but you have to be willing maybe to take a turn or pivot that may not might not be what everyone else would do in your shoes or who there's people who wouldn't even consider doing what you were doing. So did you work as a, as a nurse, like a nursing nurse on the floor for a time? And did you enjoy that? So that is one of the places that my career path diverges from a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. Because nursing was a second career for me, um, I had a very clear idea of where I wanted to be. And that was in primary care as a pediatric nurse practitioner. So I specifically chose a program that I could go into that role without spending um, without spending time at the bedside, essentially. And I will say that was a choice that is not always super popular with many people. Um, and it kind of went against the green, but, um, it was something that I, 
made a choice that was right for me. And in talking with some of my other, you know, more senior nurse practitioner colleagues, they helped me to feel confident and comfortable in that choice. So I did not, other than my nursing, you know, my BSN training and doing those rotations, I didn't work as a BSN prepared nurse at the bedside. Yeah. I mean, either you've been reading my mail or we were separated at birth <laughs> or something, but we're, we're cousins in that way because mm-hmm. I never worked in the hospital and I've been a nurse 27 years. I went right into community health and people told me it was professional suicide. And obviously it was not because I'm still doing okay. (laughs) Um, So 27 years later, I'm all right. And you're all right. So you and I are living proof that it's okay. So to become a nurse scientist, obviously PhD or DNP is kind of where it's at. And that makes sense because that's where you get this training and research and you conduct your own research and that sort of thing. In your current role, what is it like? What does your day look like? What do you actually do? Because a lot of people might feel um, they just might be bereft of ideas about what a nurse scientist like what, what they would actually, what would happen at work? Like, how do you conduct yourself? Who do you collaborate with? What does it look like? Yes. And I'm a firm believer in you can't be what you can't see. So I think the fact that, um, you know, the nurse scientist role, it's gaining popularity, but it's a newer sort of role for nurses. So I think it is really important to talk about what nurse scientists do. And like you said, what the day-to-day looks like. Um, Like I said, I am um, what's considered a a clinical nurse scientist. So I'm embedded in the clinical setting. So I'm employed by the hospital. And I really have a couple of major job functions that I, I focus on. The first job function is really supporting our nursing staff in scholarship. So that looks like, you know, providing trainings and education for them on evidence-based practice, on how do I go through the research process? How do I write an IRB? How do I set up a study? Um, The second part of my role is really focused on my own research and, you know, my research expertise and trajectory, which is focused on um, health services research or outcomes research And I focus a lot of my work around that transition from the hospital to home for pediatric patients and their families, because I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner. I've worked in the primary care for the majority of my career, and now I sit in the acute care setting. So I have that unique perspective of seeing what we do on the inpatient side, but also having worked with patients and families after they leave the hospital and go into the community. And then the third part of my research or the third part of my focus is really on um, system level, either research support or infrastructure building. So um, how do we set up systems that support our staff to do their jobs? What policies do we need to put in place? Um, Advocating for, you know, nurses more generally and the role of nurses. Um, And then, you know, so that's kind of those are the major buckets. What my day-to-day look like looks like can be very, very different. So some days you can find me teaching nurses, you know, actually having classes. Um, some days you'll find me writing grants or writing research papers, publications, traveling to conferences to present work, 
or to support our nurses who are presenting work. Um, I do a lot of advocacy work, mostly on my own time, but, you know, to support the nursing profession um, and to support the role of nurses in providing good quality care. Um, So it's, to me, it's a really exciting and a really interesting job where you get to kind of choose your own adventure every day. Mm -hmm. And it does sound really exciting to me because I, I love this kind of stuff, you know, research and policy and looking at how, you know, outcomes can be improved and kind of like what I picture you doing on some level is turning over rocks and looking at like, okay, so if you're looking at, I read something you sent me about pediatric outcomes when the patients come home from the NICU, Mm -hmm. right? The transition to home, like you mentioned. And I'm just thinking, you know, turning over rocks, looking for places where, you know, what can we change here? What can be tweaked? What's working? What's not working? And when you have that kind of mind, you know, it has to be, it has to excite you. It has to kind of light you up right? You can't do this kind of work if it's not something that, you know, really kind of makes you want to get out of bed in the morning, just like any job. And I know you, you're an adjunct professor at several different nursing schools mm-hmm. and you're the nurse science scientist consultant. You're a senior fellow for the Center for Health Outcomes and Policy Research that you mentioned at UPenn. Mm-hmm. And when I look at your um, your CV, like I mentioned, there's a lot of research you've been involved in. Obviously, it's geared towards pediatrics mm-hmm. to a large extent. And then when I look at your your publications in peer-reviewed journals, I mean, that is quite a list. Like I'm looking at it right now. Your CV is really impressive. And Thank you. Sure. And do you enjoy that part of your work? Because that might be very foreign to a lot of nurses as well, like writing articles and publishing stuff in peer-reviewed journals and other publications. Like, what is that process like for you? And what kind of what do you glean from it as a person and as a professional? What do you enjoy about it? Yes. So the publishing process, I like to describe it as a black box. Mm-hmm. You know. Until you actually go through it a few times, it can seem very, very confusing and very foreign. Um, I find that I am starting to like the publication process more as I do it more frequently. I still have, um, you know, I still have a lot of the feelings that I think many nurses have when they're writing an article for publication. You want to make sure you you are sharing the best information. You want to make sure everything is factual. You don't want to put anything out there that potentially could be criticized. And I think for a lot of people, that's why they maybe hesitate to publish, you know, because it is in a lot of ways you're, you're vulnerable. You're writing something down and you're sharing it with the world. Um, that being said, with some of our recent publications, and um, most of them are interprofessional publications, and we usually have a variety of different um, clinical nurses, nurse leaders, medical staff, um, al- allied health professionals on them. I really enjoy that team aspect of bringing together different people who have their own experiences and perspectives. And I think that can make the writing process a lot 
more fun um, and you can have a much better a much better outcome, I think. And the, the papers are much more robust. Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at research, you know, at the bachelor's level, we learn all the basics, like how to examine a piece of research and pick it apart, look at all the details and figure out if it was a quote unquote good piece of research or not. When you're at the PhD level, what is that educational process like? And um, how how deep does it go and how much does it push you intellectually? I think of the PhD program, the nursing PhD program as essentially, you know, three to five years of being steeped in research, in research design, in statistics, um, and really steeped in critical thought process. So I I think, you know, no matter what you focus on for your dissertation or your research area, the goal of the research PhD program is for you to come out with the skills to be able to apply to any research question. So, you know, a lot of people think when you go into a PhD, it's to become a complete expert on one area. And while that's true that you'll come out and you'll have a usually an area of expertise, it's really more about training you in the thought process. So for example, I remember having a conversation with my um, dissertation um, supervisor and um, I've always been a peds person. That's always been my focus, but we didn't have the pediatric data available to do the research study that I really wanted to do. So I had to shift gears and focus on an adult population. And that was a big conundrum for me. And um, I remember having a lot of distress about that idea. Like I'm a Pete's person and we would have conversations about it. And I remember her telling me, you know, you are getting these skills and you're learning these processes. And then you have the rest of your life to apply them to your population of interest, you know, your area of research interest, whatever it is. This is just to give you that toolkit to move on. So I think of the PhD in that way. I have a lot of conversations with the the nurses that I work with who are thinking about going back for a doctorate degree, either a DNP or a PhD. And there's often um, a lack of clarity about what those two career paths and what those degree programs entail and how they may be alike or different. And so what I will say is for those people who are really interested in staying in a clinical role and, you know, continuing to have clinical care be their primary focus, but they'd also like to do some quality improvement or some evidence-based practice, the DNP is really the route for that. The PhD is if you are someone who wants to do research studies, who wants to generate new knowledge about a phenomenon or a population. Um, if you're at all interested in writing for NIH grants or kind of those large federal federal grants, you need a PhD for that. So I try to talk to, you know, people who may think they want a DNP, but they want to eventually teach or do research and try to guide them more to that other side. Um, so yes, uh, it's a it's a quite an experience, but I think, you know, it's you come out of the other side stronger, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I know several people who finished their PhDs recently and yeah, they come out stronger, and it, <laughs> but it can be quite a slog to get there. And, um, you know, you need a lot of support 
and you know you need a lot of intellectual curiosity and rigor to get yourself through it and enjoy it and when we come from the back from the break i want to talk more about that process in terms of what research really looks like some more advice you might have for younger nurses or students or older nurses who are looking to go into this kind of non-traditional pathway and some other thoughts that you might have and i might have about this whole world so stick right with us we'll be right back for episode 428 with nurse practitioner scientist and researcher daniel sarek right here on the nurse keith show And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again on episode 428 with friend of the pod and my new friend and colleague, Dr. Danielle Sarek. Sorry, I haven't called you doctor yet. So I wanted to definitely get that in there. And um, <laughs> do do your colleagues and the, do the nurses call you Danielle? Do they call you Dr. Sarek? How do they refer to you in the workplace? So when I work with students and when I work in academia, um, Dr. Sarek or Professor Sarek is the, the general um, way that I'm addressed. In the clinical setting, you know, it varies. We often have interprofessional teams and we'll refer to each other by first names. Um, and I don't do the clinical work anymore. So there's no concern about that confusion at the bedside. Um, you know, with misrepresentation, calling myself doctor. So I, I often will introduce myself as Dr. Sarek, but then, um, you know, if we have a personal relationship and we're on a first name basis, then that's how we, that's how we uh, roll from then on. Mm -hmm. I, I just want to ask just out of curiosity, what did it feel like the first time someone addressed you as Dr. Sarek? Did it, was it shocking? Did it feel good? You know? What was that like? I was in my PhD program for three years, mm -hmm. you know, 12 months a year, three years um, living and breathing the research work. So after I defended my dissertation and they introduce you kind of like a wedding, you know, for the first time introducing Dr. Danielle Sarek, mm -hmm. it was surreal, but also very, very um, welcome to finally mm -hmm. have achieved that title. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first piece of mail that I, I received after graduation was a letter from the university, you know, congratulating me on my defense, I think. And it was addressed to Dr. Danielle Sarek. And I kept that because, you know, that meant it was real because it was in writing on a letter. So. Yeah. That's like if you owned a store or restaurant and someone paid you, you know, it was like your first dollar earned, exactly. you know, you do that, put it up on the wall. So speaking of your your work during your PhD program, what was the title or the gist of the research that you were focused on that was your your baby during your research? Um, I was in the Center for Health Outcomes and Policy Research. So we had a strong focus on health services research. My own um, dissertation looked at the impact of nursing skill mix. So the different degrees and um, training levels of your nursing staff 
and what impact those different skill mix levels had on medical surgical patient outcomes. Hmm. So whether they did well, whether they had morbidities or whether they actually had mortality. Um, And so what I found from that work was that the training and education of nurses absolutely does play a role in the outcomes of medical surgical patients, um, especially in those patients when they're post-op. So in that really critical time period where they are, you know, they've recently had surgery, they're back on the unit, the nurse plays such a critical role in surveilling that patient and being able to notice when there are small changes that are kind of harbingers for things to come um, and being able to take that information, think about it critically and act on it in a you know very kind of um, important way to gather the resources needed to rescue that patient. And what we call that is um, if, if there are clinical signs that are happening that a patient is deteriorating, and they are not seen and addressed early enough, and the patient is unable to be saved, we call that failure to rescue. And mm. so when we have you know, nurses that don't have as much education or training, we see that often that failure to rescue happens more frequently. Mm. And that bears resemblance to some of the information put out by the Institute of Medicine and other organizations around, you know, what's shown that the more bachelor's prepared nurses you have on a unit, the the outcomes are improved. So it's it's very related to what we were seeing in in other research coming out. So you you weren't alone in reaching those conclusions, right? Yes. And actually the center that I was studying in, um, Dr. Linda Aiken is the director of that center. It was the director at the time. Um, and she was, you know, the lead author of those JAMA New England Journal articles that were kind of like the groundbreaking articles about bachelor's prepared nurses and how they are, um, how having a staff with a certain level of bachelor's prepared nurses aligns with patient outcomes. Mm-hmm. So yes, building on some of that really critical work that's provided a lot of our foundation in nursing for what we do as far as education and training and hiring. Yeah. I just want to ask you, because you're in that world and because of the nature of the research you did originally, and I'm just curious, you know, there's there are nurses out there who, from what I've heard and conversations I've had and watching conversations on social media, et cetera, who feel somewhat, hmm, what would you say, resentful of this push towards bachelor's preparation. And I know there's now this push towards nurse practitioners being doctorally prepared, though it's not mandated yet like for physical therapists no not yet so what what are your personal feelings about when we take the level of education of a professional group let's say like physical therapists got elevated to the doctoral level Mm -hmm. and when we do this with nurses do you feel like it's generally a good idea for nursing to be heading in that direction. And it, it's taking time, obviously. But what are your feelings about that? 
I will put the research to the side for right now because okay. you know, at least for for the bachelor's discussion, I think there is a lot of research evidence that supports that. Um, for the DNP, I would say again, kind of putting the evidence to the side because I think that that is not completely clear yet. My own personal thought, and this is my own philosophy, I feel that I, in all of all areas of my life, I want to know the most that I can so I can do the best job. So personally, I am motivated to get additional certifications, to do additional training, not because it's mandated or you know necessarily because there's some evidence that's published somewhere that says it's good. It's just kind of my own internal North Star, I guess you mm-hmm. could say. I'm kind of a lifelong student. Um, mm-hmm. When I think about the, the physical therapy profession and how they have elevated their profession to be a doctorately prepared profession, I do think that that provides a certain um, perspective and it provides a certain, um, for the consumer, it provides a certain level of understanding that no matter who I see, I know they've been prepared at this certain level, and I feel confident in that. And I think in nursing, um, historically, we've had very disparate ways that we can get to a nursing degree um, for different reasons. I mean, some of those reasons are financial. Not everyone can afford to go to a BSN program. I mean, not everyone, even if they could afford, would be able to find a spot in a BSN program. So we have a system that. we need to have these different entry pathways. But what that does is it creates a little bit of alphabet soup for us. Um, as a profession, I think we have some um, internal kind of <laughs> discord about what mm-hmm. the right path is. And then I think for you know consumers or for patients, that think of how confusing it is for us. It's also confusing for them. You know, what's the difference between an RN, an LPN, a BSN, you know, um, a, an ADN? They don't, they don't know the ins and outs. To them, we're nurses. And so I think more than the title, I think the training and the, the level of expertise you bring to the job, that's what's really important. And so again, with physical therapy, they were able to achieve that with a doctorate. With our DNP programs, our Doctorate of Nursing Practice programs, I know that there was a push. Um, I, be- I thought it was by 2020 they were hoping to have most of the programs converted. Mm-hmm. That obviously didn't happen. So I'm not sure if they pushed it out to like 2030 now. But again, with that, a lot of the DNP coursework is more towards process improvement, quality improvement, evidence-based practice. Will that take away at all from being a competent clinician? No, I don't think so. I think it will help you. You can, you know, read studies, you can apply that evidence better to your practice. But I do understand why some of our clinicians aren't interested in going back for a degree that they would have to pay for. And it doesn't necessarily contain additional clinical competencies. And then we aren't seeing that the salary is different with a DNP versus an MSN. So I think until we as a profession either make the decision, we're converting all of our programs and that just is the standard, or we are going to compensate those individuals differently for the time, energy, and financial resources that they invested, I think it's a hard sell for a lot of people. 
That was a long-winded answer, but it is a complicated issue. (laughs) Really good answer. Oh my gosh. I loved that answer. I, because it, it, necessitates a long answer because there's a lot of nuance Mm -hmm. and you can't just explain it in a couple sentences. And if you do, you're simplifying the hell out of it. And I feel like you just kind of broke it down and you opened up. I mean, this shows to me like the way your mind works, like you're looking at all the nuances, all the different angles and kind of pulling it apart rather than being kind of laissez-faire, just sort of like just making a, a kind of a blunt statement you're 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 playing with all the material that's there and i'm so glad you brought up the issue of compensation not that we're going to go deep into that right now but i just i'm glad you raised that specter because a lot of people will say to me and i've heard them just talking about it out in the ethers about why should I go back to school and get a PhD when I'll probably be earning about the same I'm earning now? And that PhD is going to cost me, you know, fill in the blank, right? So I appreciate your perspective a lot. And for nurses who are looking at this and research excites them and data excites them and they love what you're talking about, which is looking at things in such a nuanced way. And like I said, you know, opening little doors, turning over rocks, finding the places where that process improvement might happen. Say I'm a nurse with a bachelor's degree and this stuff really attracts me. How do I find out before I plop down a whole ton of money and sign on the dotted line, how do I learn or experience something so I have a sense that this is something I would really enjoy? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I wouldn't encourage anyone to enter a doctoral program lightly. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, just like you would before you. Um, decide to engage in like a brand new hobby where you have to buy a lot of equipment. You want to make sure that you actually enjoy it before you make that investment. Um, One thing I will say is for the PhD, um, many, many programs are fully funded. So, you know, you won't have to necessarily pay for PhD programs. You do usually receive some sort of a stipend, but that being said, you have to take a break from clinical work. And so there is that difference in salary. DNP programs are almost all, you know, you have to pay for the DNP programs. So just wanted to clarify there, that is the difference between the programs. Um, For the clinical nurse who really is interested in, you know, finding out how do I make things better, um, interested in that research process, what I would recommend is if they are in a clinical setting, so I'll say a hospital setting because that's where we find more of our nurse scientists, If they're in a hospital setting, they should reach out and see, do they have a nurse scientist? Do they have maybe an evidence-based practice lead or a quality improvement lead? Um, And set up a meeting with that person and just have a conversation with them. You know, this is my background. I really enjoy working on these type of projects. I'm thinking about a PhD or I'm thinking about going back for a DNP. Can we chat about it? Um, For those nurses who are in settings where you maybe don't have a nurse scientist or, um, you know, you don't have someone who's in that role, um, 
you can reach back out to your, you know, either home institution where you did your training, your, your education, or if you're, you know, you've re- relocated or you're, you know, several years out from, um, you know, one or two years out from your training, you can look at different universities or colleges that are around you. And you can see usually what faculty are there and what their research interests are. And so if you find someone who has a research interest around maybe your area, feel free to email these people. I mean, most of our nursing um, faculty and nurse scientists, they want to hear from nurses who are interested in entering the field. We have a huge shortage of PhD prepared nurses. We're seeing, you know, we've been seeing great growth with our DNPs, but our PhDs are staying completely flat. And we have a lot of our more seasoned PhD prepared faculty and scientists who are retiring. So we are actively, and I'm speaking for myself as well, mm-hmm. actively looking to mentor and nurture, you know, our, our younger nurses who are interested and have that spark to go into this profession. So I've, um, you know, that's actually how I ended up um, at the University of Pennsylvania for my PhD is I literally just wrote an email, cold email to Dr. Aiken explaining who I was and what I was interested in doing um, and had a conversation. So please don't hesitate to do that. Most people will be so happy to hear from you and just happy to have a conversation with you. Awesome. And I will just say that I did not prompt you before we recorded to say anything. <laughs> no. Because you're speaking my language and you are reading my mail, Danielle. Um, so no, but but seriously, I'm always telling people if you, there's something you want to know, reach out to someone who does that thing that you think is really cool or really interesting or really fascinating. And you know, most people, if someone shows interest in what they do. They'd love to talk about what they do. And especially like you just pointed out something that I wasn't wholly aware of, that we do have kind of a dearth of PhD prepared nurses. More people are doing the DNP, apparently, according Mm -hmm. to what you know. And I trust you on that. So that is an open door to reach out to people like you and say, hey, you know, And this is what I always tell people say, this is me. Here's my resume. Um, This is where I've been at. This is what I'm thinking about. And I find what you're doing is fascinating. Could we, could I buy you coffee or could we hop on zoom for 20 minutes? I I value your time. I won't take too much time. Like you want to express to them that you find what they do is cool or interesting and that you understand they're very busy and you just have some questions for them. You can even offer to send your questions in advance. So definitely. Yeah. And look what you did. You sent a cold email, right? (laughs) Yeah. And you got a good response, didn't you? I did. Yes. And, you know, I will say, um, for those of you not familiar, Dr. Aiken is a giant in nursing. Hmm. You know, she's um, multiple, multiple times R01 funded has written some of our seminal nurse scientist, um, you know, papers about nursing skill mix and staffing. And so, and at that time I was, you know, uh, a global health person out of my undergrad. So, um, I, I truly believe that, um, 
people want to be helpful. And um, if they're unable to be helpful for whatever reason, timing or other obligations, sometimes they'll connect you with someone who they think might be a better fit as well. So I, I would say my advice would be for, you know, nurse science or nurses who are thinking about, you know, maybe this career path or just want to talk with someone, please don't be shy. You know, please realize that um, it's in the it's in the best interest of everyone in the profession for us to, you know, support and nurture people who are interested in growing mm -hmm. and interested in professional development. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. That's great advice. Now, I could talk to you for a long time more, but we do have to start winding down. And I have four quick questions that I ask all my guests. Are you game? Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So the first question is, how do you define success, either personally or professionally? For myself, I define success as the ability to do work that I find meaningful and that has a positive impact on the patients and families that I care for and that I am serving. Um, with that, for me personally, success is finding that spot of being able to balance the career and the personal life. Mm -hmm. Because I think that um, one without the other for me is is not good. So I actively work to be able to do good work when I'm, you know, at my job and, and engaging and then also have a life and play with my dogs and take my daughter to dance class and mm -hmm. walk on the beach and, you know, have all of those pieces that are important. I love that. Thank you. Okay. Next question. Could you name, or if you don't want to name them, you could just describe a person who's inspired you in the course of your life. They can be living or dead. They can be very famous, or they could be someone that none of us have ever heard of, but is important to you. I have, um, time and time again, been inspired by my female relatives. I have very strong female relatives that um, even, you know, back before it was cool, were breaking the mold and, you know, doing things that women weren't often supposed to be doing and kind of pushing the boundaries. And I think for me, that's something that um, that kind of role model piece has been very important in my life to see those strong female figures doing things that maybe weren't always the most popular things. <laughs> That's great. A long line of courageous yeah. <laughs> women. All right. And someday someone's going to talk about you in those same words. I can hope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty obvious is that's going to be the case. Okay. Penultimate question. Is there a book or even a movie doesn't have to be an absolute favorite because that's so hard to pin down. Mm -hmm. That's had a major impact on the way you think, the way you live your life, the way you approach your work, anything like that at all. So I am an avid reader. Um, mm -hmm. And so it is, it would be way too difficult for me to say that there was, you know, necessarily one particular book or movie. Um, I think that in my global health work, I, I read a lot um, of fiction and nonfiction about just, you know, how we approach different um, cultures or people who have backgrounds that are different from us 
and you know what that looks like when it's a job, what it looks like when it is a, a personal thing. And I think that I um, that's that kind of message of you know being aware of the fact that you don't know everything and even as the clinician, you might have an idea of how things should go, but until you understand the realities of someone's world, their challenges, their, you know, the things that they hold important, you won't be successful in, you know, whatever you're trying to do. So that's really that um, kind of that literature that um, public health and, and, you know, global health background that informed my approach to clinical care. And it also really has informed the research work that I do, um, looking at health equity issues and um, meeting patients where they are with what they need instead of what we as clinicians may think that they need. Love that. That's wonderful. Maybe I've maybe um, flash on like Paul Farmer and people of that ilk, you know, there's so many. Okay. So last question. If you were named queen of the world tomorrow, (laughs) (laughs) what's one of the first things you would want to do to improve the lives of your subjects? Bearing in mind that being queen of the world means you have ultimate power, and this would just be your first action of many to come. Wow, that is quite (laughs) a loaded question. Yeah. so this is kind of unrelated to my my day-to-day job um, mm-hmm. or anything we've talked about, but I think that the natural world, I mean, we are all dependent on the natural world, right? And we all rely on mother nature. And I think that if there was one thing I could do that would literally impact every single person and make life better and easier for everyone, it would be to in some way you know, address the pollution, the, you know, toxic environments, you know, those sort of things. Um, Climate change impacts us all. It impacts our vulnerable patients and communities even more. Mm -hmm. Children are disproportionately impacted. So if I could flip a switch and um, improve that for everyone, I think that would be my first act. You'd obviously be an awesome queen. So well said. (laughs) Dr. Sarek. Well, Danielle, Dr. Danielle Sarek, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for originally reaching out to me and thanks for enlightening us about research and all the things one can love about it and how important it is. And thanks for the advice to people who this might spark something in somebody who might become another person who starts on that path. So thank you for your time and thanks for all your enthusiasm and all the great work you do in the world. Thank you for having me as a guest. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, the show notes will be over at nursekeith.com where you'll find links to connect with Dr. Danielle Sarek on LinkedIn and Twitter and also her page over at uh, UPenn Nursing. Thank you for being here with us. And if you need personalized holistic career coaching, look no further than nursekeith.com and nursekeith coaching. Mention the show and get 10% off your first coaching package. And remember to share the show with anyone out there who you think would enjoy it. 
and write a rating and review over on whatever portal where you happen to access us. We really appreciate it. We're proud members of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We're adroitly produced by the inimitable Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and the wonderful Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by Brene Brown, because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, and the wonderful Dr. Daniel mm-hmm. Sarek saying Arrivederci from... Delaware. (laughs) The beautiful state of Delaware. Thank you, Dr. Sarek. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll catch you on the proverbial flip side. Mm